The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning to you. You're watching the Wednesday edition of Squawk Box with Jeff Cutmore and myself, Steve Sedgwick. Uh, and these are your headlines. China's factory gate prices hit a record high in October. Record high in October, inflated by rising raw material costs and continued supply chain concerns. Uh, in the United States, producer prices also hitting record levels as attention turns to the crucial CPI data due today. Whilst the Fed's James Bullard tells CNBC exclusively that the central bank is positioned to hike rates next year if needed. The committee has tilted hawkish here. This, this is a uh, sooner taper than would have been anticipated uh, six or eight months ago, and it's a faster taper uh, than would have been anticipated. Good morning, everybody. Rivian prices its IPO above the range, valuing the EV maker upwards of $66 billion ahead of its Nasdaq debut. And it's another losing day for Tesla. Elon Musk loses $50 billion in two days as Tesla stock drops another 12% amid the continued fallout from his Twitter poll on selling a 10% stake. Plus, it's a busy day for earnings in Europe with Siemens Energy, Allianz, Adidas, Arhold, Del Hayes and Infineon all reporting. Hear from them all here on Scorebox. So we've got a lot of earnings coming through today. So let's kick off here with Allianz. The headline, Allianz posts strong third quarter 2021 results. That's the message from the company this morning. Third quarter operating profit rising 11.3% to 3.2 billion euros. The company giving us a net income line attributable to shareholders up 2.3% at 2.1 billion euros. Total revenue growth up 9.5% in the third quarter of 2021. The group showing an operating profit gain on the nine months of uh, 9.9 billion euros. That's 82% of the full year target of 12 billion euros, which obviously they argue that they are well on track for. The net income attributable to shareholders on the nine months rising 38.3% to 6.9 billion euros. The operating profit now expected to be at the higher end of the target range here. So they're lifting their guidance to uh, 120 uh, billion euros, I think that is. I'm just training here with my eyesight. The um, company giving us a, um, uh, a, a a line here then where they expect the uh, total assets under management up to uh, uh, 2.548 billion euros at the end of, sorry, at two trillion uh, five hundred and forty eight billion euros at the end of uh, third quarter of twenty twenty one with third party assets under management increasing by fifty one billion euros here Steve so a positive line coming out of uh, Allianz this morning on their uh, guidance 
And of course, uh, we're going to break down the numbers uh, with uh, the Alliance CFO, uh, Giulio Terzario. That's uh, coming up at 7.30 Central European time, first on CNBC. Very interesting looking at companies that are adopting strategies for the 21st century and looking at portfolios uh, that will suffice for the energy transitions. Well, one of those said companies, of course, is Siemens Energy, uh, which has said fourth quarter orders up 30.2% at 9.1 billion euros. Fourth quarter sales up 7.4% at 8.2 billion euros, uh, roughly in line with what Refinitiv estimated. They, they, they went for 8.3 billion. But fourth quarter net loss of 383 million euros. I want to get actually uh, straight to Christian Bruch, who is the CEO of Siemens Energy. And, and Christian, you and I have talked a lot this year uh, about the energy transition, but I first of all want to talk about the numbers as well. And actually, dare I ask, why are your shares down 18% year to day and, and around about 10 euros off your high when you, you, you kind of got the portfolio that you want to have for the 21st century, or certainly you're putting it in place. Why are the investors not getting excited about it as of yet? Well, I think, uh, first of all, good, good morning and thanks for having me. Um, when we started the company, we uh, very clearly said, look, it will be a couple of years journey in terms of building really this new company. And uh, we have seen beginning of the year um, really also the impact on the renewable side. We have seen the challenges at Siemens Gamesa, which is a big part of our business. Um, and at the same time, obviously, we're seeing all the improvements coming on the rest on the conventional business. It took some time now, it takes some time for us now to explain the company to the investors. But we are very, very confident on what we are putting here together. We have made great progress in 21 and we are very confident for the future. As you said, I think we have a right portfolio. The future energy world will need a diverse portfolio because you will need multiple answers to a very difficult questions. And this is what we're having. And I'm very confident that we can build also the, the share price from where we are today uh, into the future. Yeah, and look, this is fascinating when we look at shareholders of new economy companies, transition companies, technology companies. They value them very differently, a lot of these companies, than they do from traditional energy players who are looking to transition into 21st century energy players as well. Very interesting. I don't know if you, you want to comment on how shareholders treat pure tech companies and how shareholders treat energy companies who are looking to reinvigorate their portfolio. It seems they treat them very differently, Christian. No, that is absolutely right. And this is why it requires uh, really for, from our side a lot of explanations. I mean, we are building Siemens Energy, for example, really on three pillars, CO2 free and low CO2 power generation, transmission and storage, and tackling really the demand side, which means decarbonization of existing industry assets. Um, that is a certain complexity which needs to be understood. But if you look, to, for example, to, to events like in Glasgow, uh, discussions generally what you see globally, what you do see is you have a very diverse setup in the different areas. It has some complexity which we're trying to convey generation, really transmission and the demand side is what you need to tackle. That is not as easy as a straightforward uh, one-trick pony company. I understand this. But at the end, what you're going to need and what you really need to deliver in the energy transformation is managing this end-to-end -end solution along the energy supply chain. This is what we're trying to convey. Um, it is an education journey with our investors, also with the analysts. But I, if I see the last 12 months really of our history, 
We've made, I believe, tremendous progress also to make this better understood. And we see more and more on the market that this logic of an integrated energy technology company is more and more getting through and people understand it, why it's needed. Just explain to us why we're still having um, component problems, market imbalances, all these kind of issues at, at units such as Siemens Gamesa as well. Are we going to be able to work through these or actually are we going to have those kind of problems which we've seen at Vestas on and off for years as well and at Gamesa as well? Are these problems going to iron out or actually are we going to have these throughout the transition? Well, I think first of all we have made great progress really in 21 and if I look uh, on, on the conventional side, uh, a lot of things has been achieved. Yes, we definitely have an onshore wind. We discussed it before. Uh, pro, uh, issues to tackle and to address, which we really did also over the last months. And I think the management uh, on Siemens Gamesa does a good job now really to tackle the problems. If you come to supply chain, and I think we discussed it before in one of our previous calls, uh, we're going to see this for quite some time. I said also last time, it's going to be way into 22. And honestly, my belief is managing the supply chain will be something which will be with us for long. It is, uh, will be really a core competence of companies like us and really making sure that you can manage these scarcities and issues on the supply chain, not only on the material, but also on the logistics side, uh, and really uh, make this understood. Um, as more as we move into renewables, the more we will need material. You, you may know that uh, if you build a kilowatt for, for your renewable energy, you need 10 times the material compared to conventional. You need more steel, you need uh, more materials. This means we need to be better in managing this. And I think this is not a Siemens energy issue. This is an industry subject. And uh, you see it each and everywhere. If you look through the earnings releases from all also the peers, they all say the same. Supply chain, supply chain, supply chain. And we need to manage that. We did relatively well, uh, I think, in big parts of our business and really carefully managing it. We have a rigorous process implemented on this and it will be with us throughout 2022. Uh, I'm relatively convinced on that. Christian, just to talk about the, um, uh, the business for a moment here. Obviously, you're, you're throwing off uh, cash now and you've decided to pay uh, a dividend on your first full year of uh, business since you were spun off um, out of Siemens. Can I just ask you about how you're thinking about that strategy of uh, compensating shareholders at this stage, given that you're also still looking at a very full, if anything, over full order book um, and you've got to execute on that. Yeah, I mean, first of all, we had a very, very strong year with cash. And we are very confident that we are on the right track. And we also told our shareholders relatively uh, from the start, we are on a multi-year journey. And at the end, it's also the question, what type of company we want to be. And we are confident that with the business we are driving, we are on the one hand capturing the growth from the energy transformation with all the investment in R&D, with the renewables. But at the same time, we are a company which can really build on a big order backlog, which has a big service portfolio. You, you know that 40% of our business is service business. And with this, generate good uh, earnings. And uh, obviously, we're still impacted by one-time effects uh, in our P&L uh, in this year. But we are very confident on the journey going forward uh, to be a strong company. And this is really the underlining of, of this statement, paying a dividend also this year to our shareholders. 
um, to explain also the story of our company. And we're confident that we can continue on this journey if I look on the improvements uh, on the operative business. And this is why we decided to pay also this year a dividend. To be very clear, this is the path we're going uh, forward. It's not only growth, but it's also value and dividend. And this is what we're trying to build. Yeah, and obviously, uh, as you point out, you've got that uh, full year net loss in here, partly due to the restructuring of the Siemens Gomesa unit. Can you just update us on that unit uh, and how things are going? Yeah, there have been a lot of activities in Siemens Gamesa over the last couple of months. And uh, I'm confident that the things are addressed and in place. It will take some time. I think also you have seen it in the um, announcements from Siemens Gamesa that they expect the turnaround on onshore to be shifted to 23-24, uh, uh, to where they want it to be. But you also see it, it's an industry issue. You see in the renewable side, also with the wind peers, that the whole industry is struggling and that we have to discuss what is actually the pricing in the renewables. Is that really healthy enough prices to make sure that the market flourishes? And this is something which the whole industry has to have. I'm confident that the management is working on the right things. In project business, nothing is fast. We have to work through these issues now, but I think all of these are addressed and tackled. And in this regard, I'm confident on the future there of Siemens Gamesa. But as an industry, we have to discuss what is actually the pricing on renewables. Um, if you look on the uh, levelized cost of electricity and what is the underlying equipment prices. And this will be some discussion we will have over the next months and years, I believe. Christian, always good to catch up. Thank you for joining us this morning. Christian Brook, then, the uh, CEO of Siemens Energy. Um, let me just uh, recap for you the uh, credit agricole numbers. The company beating expectations on the third quarter. They are confirming the 2022 targets. The uh, French bank says... It posted better than expected third quarter profits supported by lower pandemic related provisions for bad loans and higher revenue in retail banking, especially in Italy, where the uh, the lender acquired local bank uh, Crevel earlier this year. Uh, there's an interesting line here on the cost of risk for the third quarter down 56.1 percent. Uh, 266 million euros. Uh, revenue in capital markets down 18.7% and revenue in FIC down 23.7%. That's your fixed income trading operations. Underlying revenue uh, at CIB, the uh, investment bank, down 3.7% at 1.24 billion euro for the third quarter. The uh, group says it's well capitalized at 12.7% at the end of September on the CT1 solvency ratio. The uh, group net income on the third quarter then uh, per share up 43.5% at 1.40 billion euros. Steve. Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll just very briefly say, Jeff, I mean, it's another great example of a company that's had a terrific rally this year, Credit Agricole up 27%. But my goodness me, is there a value trap for our viewers out there? Trades eight times forward as well on a price to book of 0.6. Now, you wouldn't get those kind of valuations on US banks as well. In fact, finding uh, something double that is pretty much the mean on a lot of the US banks as well. Is there something systemically wrong with European banks and the growth opportunities compared with the United States? 
United States. There you go. There's your essay question for the day, ladies and gentlemen. In fact, it's not your only essay question for the day. Your other essay question is, why don't the central banks look at what we're looking at on Squawkbox? We're speaking to another nine CEOs and CFOs today as well. Just listen to these people. Because what I find amazing in central bank world is how confident you are that this inflation is just going to fade away. Well, because we here on this channel, Karen, Jeff and myself, ask the question constantly to CEOs. We've got our holder coming up later on. I'll ask them exactly the same question as well. There are longer term uh, issues with getting raw materials, with getting capital in place, with getting employees in place. But all of you people in central bank land, you're so confident, aren't you, that it's transitory. Step into our shoes for 10 minutes and listen to Christian Brook. Listen to some of these CEOs uh, and you'll find there's one or two other sticky issues. I mean, don't take my word for it. Look at this. China PPI in October, 13.5% higher. Record levels. US CPI today is going to be seen at a 30-year high potentially. The PPI we had yesterday up 8.6% year on year. Do you know some of the analysts out there who are ignoring this, they've even given up looking at the headline figure. They've gone straight to the core, which strips out food and energy. Because let's be honest about it, who needs food and energy? Oh yeah, every single one of us on the planet. Every single company on the planet. Funny that, isn't it? Right, US markets. A little bit of an abating after the, the run-up they've had. What's the S&P had? Eight days running to the upside? Uh, this is a tiny decline compared with where we've been. And I, I had a quick look at some of the, the year-to-date moves. Dow's up 19% year-to-date. The S&P's up 25% year-to-date. The Nasdaq up 23% year-to-date. Well, presumably, on the basis of this and all this inflation everywhere, the dollar's through the roof, yeah? No, not really, no. Dollar index is down 0.1 of a percent, down three out of three sessions, uh, trading 135 on the cable level, euro dollar trading 115.77, dollar yuan 6.393. Uh, I presume you think the treasuries are through the roof of all this inflation going around. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 1.44 is your yield on your 10-year. What does that tell you? It tells you a lot of things. It tells you a lot of asset purchasing still going on despite the tapering we've had uh, announced in the last few weeks. Let's have a look at the Asian indices as well and where they are currently trading. Well, I'm mostly interested in this. Look, we've lost the percent. Shall I do that PPI again? What was that Chinese PPI? Up 13.5% in October. The good news is, Jeff, though, those factory gate prices, I'm pretty sure it's all transitory. That's what I keep getting told anyway. Yeah, the, the most interesting thing for me is that traders now are actually buying tips and they're also buying regular bonds. So I'm just confused. I think they're just confused as well because the yields are not going up on the treasuries. They're going down, which tells you that the market believes it's transitory. But anyway, coming up on the programme, the Chinese factory gate inflation surging to a 26-year high. More details on that when we come back with Sam Vardas out of Singapore. Yeah, it's already been a busy morning on the earnings front. So, uh, front, so if there's anything you've missed or you, you want to hear again, you can check out the Squawk Box podcast. I'm told it's absolutely phenomenal today and it's available wherever you get your podcasts from. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal, and me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Oh. 
Welcome back to Squawk Box. Chinese factory gate inflation has hit a 26-year high amid energy shortages and surging prices for raw materials. The hard number coming in at 13.5% year-on-year. Consumer inflation, though, topping forecasts with a rise of just 1.5% on the year. That is the first acceleration in four months. Let's get out to uh, Sam Vardas who joins us with more on the story. And Sam, interesting that these factory gate inflation spikes don't seem to be translating through to consumer price inflation in quite the same way. Uh, What's going on in the Chinese economy, which means that's happening? No, not at all. Good morning to you, Jeff. Certainly a big gap between the PPI and the CPI. I think it's further evidence that the downstream companies are still largely picking up the tab and uh, absorbing the costs for now. As you say, those factory gate prices uh, at the fastest pace we've seen since 1995, certainly signalling this upstream price pressure continuing on these producers, on these higher raw material costs, and particularly when it comes to coal, because of course we saw those coal prices hitting a record high uh, mid-October. We do know those uh, coal mining or the coal mining sector, I should say, saw prices shoot up some 100% as the government has really been trying to address the energy shortage. We have now seen those coal prices actually cooling uh, in recent weeks, some 50% of a drop since those record prices. Uh, And so economists have suggested that the PPI actually might uh, ease somewhat because of that, but they do expect it to still remain elevated. And certainly this data today does confirm the manufacturing PMI that we got that showed those output prices actually rose to the highest since 2016. We do know Beijing, as I say, has been trying to rein in what they call these unreasonable price hikes and prevent any pass-through to the Chinese consumer. And that really does seem to be working because uh, the sticker shock, as you say, is fairly limited at the moment. That CPI came in at 1.5%, more or less uh, in line with what the market was punching for. And really, this has been in recent months uh, a story of falling food prices particularly when it comes to pork, which largely influences that CPI headline number. Pork did fall some 44%, which really dragged on those overall food prices, but uh, not as much as we've actually seen in recent months. And that was because vegetable prices actually surged some 16% because of bad weather and some of these COVID restrictions. Now, elsewhere, those non-food prices also uh, soared. They were up some 2.4%. That was because of those higher fuel costs and also transportation. But another uh, factor that economists have put this down to is actually electricity prices in China. This came after a few reforms uh, that allowed these electricity prices to actually rise some 20% for households. Now, at the same time, uh, we've also heard reports of uh, some of these companies actually uh, passing the costs on when it comes to uh, retail. So we have seen a a bit of pass through here, and that's why that CPI actually rose from September's 0.7%. So we are starting to see uh, some of these cost pressures, but 1.5% is still fairly muted. And that does come as this domestic demand uh, still remains relatively soft. We also, of course, know uh, that the property sector uh, and the prices there are slowing. As we know, this government campaign uh, cracking down on financing, we do know that this, of course, uh, factors into all these inflationary pressures. Uh, But as I say, uh, the sticker shock fairly limited right now. But uh, economists have suggested that perhaps we might see those consumer prices picking up uh, in the next few months as uh, really these uh, profit margins have been squeezed. uh, But this, of course, will come down to the uh, pricing power of a lot of these companies. 
Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.